Good evening, Los Angeles. I love that. I love getting on the air and saying, good evening, Los Angeles. I was just talking to my engineer and I'm talking about going back east. I grew up in Massachusetts and he was just visiting Maine a couple months ago. And, you know, uh, the weather, the weather in Southern California is just unreal. Uh, you know, uh, my, my brother's, he lives in Western Massachusetts now in a town called Auburn. I have an older brother there and he's, uh, he's sending me screenshots of his thermometer, his thermostat uh, thing or his app on his phone or whatnot. And it's like negative 24 degrees with the wind chill. And here I am complaining that it is, uh, you know, a frigid 57 degrees out right now. <laughs> Man, I, I love living here. And and, uh, and I love doing this show in Los Angeles. But I love the show because uh, I get to talk to you. Uh, and I don't know you uh, personally, most of you who are listening. But uh, but I know that you're listening. And in whatever it is that you're doing, whether you're driving to or from work, whether you're sitting in your dorm room or your living room or your bedroom or whatever it is that you're doing listening, I'm, I'm appreciative for uh, that commitment to stay up to this hour and and listen to us here at apologetics.com radio. This is the show where we challenge believers to think and thinkers to believe. And the, today, this week, I am flying solo, which happens so rarely. I mean, I think I've done this show by myself uh, maybe three or four times in the maybe five or six years I've been doing this. So I'm definitely missing my co-hosts, but I am willing to sacrifice and sit here all by my lonesome and talk to you guys. And, uh, and, and I am thankful for you. And I'd really love to hear from you tonight. So if you have any questions about what I'm going to be talking about or, or any questions in the area of values, ethics, uh, religion, of course, uh, apologetics, give me a call. It's, uh, it's a simple number. It's 888-995-5552, 888-995-5552. And, uh, and I'd love to chat with you because you're the reason that we're doing the show. I'd love to hear from you. If, if you guys call, that means we know people are listening and, and, uh, and then we can take it a step further as far as our relational value goes. And, uh, and, and if you have that question that you've been dying to ask, I mean, I'm not saying I'm going to have the answer, but I'll do my best. And, uh, and I'd love to uh, I'd love to help you, help you, I guess, wrestle, you know, or, or try to answer some stuff for you. My name is John Noyes. I'm doing this uh, as a volunteer. I've been doing it for a while at apologetics.com. And uh, on that same, same note, guys, I just want to let you know that uh, we do this show. Uh, it's all funded by you. Every penny that you guys donate goes to keeping us on the air where we use that money, I think, wisely. And, and it uh, pays the, the station for the time. It pays uh, administrat administrative fees. And all of the guys that you hear, all of our voices, we're volunteers because we just love doing this and we love you. So, so if you've gained at all from Apologetics.com, I would urge you to go to Apologetics.com, click that donate button, and make a tax-deductible donation. Uh, to the to the ministry, there's a lot of things that are in the in the winds right now that uh, that we're trying to get done, and uh, and and I'm excited to see kind of some the next level or the I guess the the maturation of apologetics.com radio as as uh, the website has been redone. If you guys have uh, questions and you want to go online and look for some resources, apologetics.com is a great place to go. So tonight, you know, uh, it's just me and you. And I just want to, uh, you know, oftentimes we address like kind of what's going on in the culture. There's a ton of stuff going on in the culture right now. Uh, there's uh, there's a there's uh, what people are calling a revival going on at Asbury 
uh, college or university in Kentucky, which it's really cool for, I, I work at Stand to Reason, uh, that's an apologetics organization uh, based out of Long Beach here, and I'm a speaker and content provider for them. That's my full-time job, it's actually my dream job, and I travel around the country and give talks, and and oftentimes it, it, it mirrors kind of like what we talk about here on the radio, but uh, I'm actually gonna be at Asbury in like, uh, man, like eight, eight or nine weeks. So, uh, man, I am, I'll tell you what, I'm praying that, that what's going on there just continues. I don't know what's going on there. And that's not what we're going to talk about tonight. Cause, uh, cause I honestly, I don't have enough, uh, I don't have enough knowledge to know what's going on there. I haven't experienced it firsthand. I haven't really looked a ton into it, but I know, Hey, uh, we, we, we serve a God who, who lives, he reigns, he moves, he acts, and uh, and sometimes he does amazing things. So wouldn't it be cool if this is a this is an amazing move by God? So I'm, I'm not skeptical of it. I'm not affirming of it. I have absolutely uh, very very little understanding. Um, but but here on the show, like we wrestle with contemporary issues, and I feel like sometimes and oftentimes what we do is we spend a lot of time addressing, uh, maybe maybe offering answers to 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 people that have objections to Christianity. And I'm not sure if we, if we ever spend or if we spend enough time offering positive reasons why everybody should believe in Christianity, you know. And and I, I thought that maybe I'd just share my story a little bit. I've shared a little bit here on the on the on the radio before, but uh, and then offer a couple of reasons through my journey uh, as to why I think the Christian worldview is is the best worldview. When I say it's the best worldview, I think it's true. You know, I don't. I don't believe what I believe, and I don't I, because it makes me feel good. I'm not a Christian because it's gained me friends. It certainly hasn't gained me any money. Before this, I, uh, before stand to reason, I was a pastor, and before the pastor, I was at law firm. So, so actually, uh, if you trace, if you trace my my uh, my my economic journey, it's nothing but decreases. But uh, <laughs> but but I, that's not that's not why I do what I do, and that's not why I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian because it's true. When I say it's true, I think it accurately describes the world around us. It, it's the best explanation. For for reality, the way the world really is. And, you know, my, my story, if, I, if I'm going to start it today, this evening, and just share it with you, it starts as all good stories do with I met a girl. It was, I think, late 2005. Uh, man, time flies. <laughs> Holy smokes. Uh, I, had, I was working at a law firm in Washington, D.C., and I moved to Hollywood, California to live the dream. And uh, my very first night in California, I was at a patty, uh, and I was in this high-rise building overlooking downtown Los Angeles, which is absolutely a gorgeous skyline. And, uh, and I was out on the balcony looking that, at that skyline and in the front door of this apartment walked uh, the most amazing girl, my now wife, Rihanna. And uh, she was fantastic. I remember like it was it was yesterday, you know, she kind of took over the room, you know, she 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 commands the every room that she's in and and uh, she, she's fun and, and beautiful and smart. And and I kind of had a reputation because my sister was living in the valley. She was um, she was living. I think it was off of man. I think it was off Woodman. If you guys are are familiar with the 101 going through the valley. Uh, uh, she was off a of woodman, and uh, so she was working with my sister, and my sister had kind of talked me up and said, hey, my brother might be moving out here. So she wanted to talk to me, Rihanna, and she she uh, walked as as quickly as she could kind of through the crowd of the apartment, through the party, and, and she walked out towards the balcony to come talk to me, and she smacked, slammed right into the screen door. She fell on her butt, 
and uh, and it was one of the funniest things I've ever seen. And she flung her hair back. She let out the most amazing laugh, and she had me right then and there. She bumped right into that screen door, and it's at that bump that I fell in love with her. And uh, then we began to get to know each other, and and uh, through the course of getting to know each other and then starting to date, the beginning of our relationship, she she came out as a Christian. And for me, that was the worst news anybody uh, could could have told me about her. Uh, I was an atheist. I was a pretty ardent atheist. I was a vociferous, and uh, you know, I thought um, I thought Christians were dumb. <laughs> to be honest with you, I'm just going to tell you the truth tonight. You know, I I, th- I thought that that Christians believed what they believed because maybe it's what they taught. It's how they were raised, um, but they never questioned it. They never really pressed into it. Is what I thought. Uh, maybe they believed what they believed because they uh, they made them feel better. I would have said it was a crutch that people believe, um, but it certainly isn't true. Uh, I'd say maybe it's something that that offers people comfort uh, and, and it can get them through uh, traumatic events. It can maybe explain some of the mysteries in the world. Um, you know, and then I would argue, you know, well, they used to believe that God's caused lightning, but now we explain it. So everything over the course of, uh, you know, the, over the course of the centuries, over the course of time, as, as time progresses, we have better explanations through a naturalistic process because I was a naturalist. When I said I was a naturalist, I was an atheist, a materialist. I mean, you can use these terms kind of interchangeably. I know philosophically they aren't all the same thing, but uh, I believe that everything that that exists came by a pure via a purely naturalistic, materialistic process. I had no room in my worldview for the supernatural. You know, I, I had I had thought that uh, that you know we. Uh, we we had evolved, and at the time, I would have said that I just evolved in my thinking more than Christians. Even my now wife, even Rihanna, who was a very smart person, but I remember talking to her in my <laughs> in my in my duplex. I lived in a duplex uh, uh, right near uh, Highland and Melrose. I was on North Citrus, if you guys know the area. Great place to live. Uh, all the action is going on all around you. It was fantastic uh, for me. But I remember having her over for dinner and cooking her dinner in my in my uh, my duplex there. And, and I remember asking her, I'm like, I thought that you were smart. You're like, you're telling me that you believe in Adam and Eve. Like how stupid, I remember saying this, how stupid can you be? You know? And, uh, I, I can't believe that you, you don't believe in evolution. Like the, the, the neo-Darwinian synthesis that explains all of life coming and arising from, from a single, uh, ancestor. You don't believe in that. Like, I thought that you were intelligent. And that's what I said to her. If she was sitting here tonight on the radio show with me, she she would agree with me. She said that she she would leave those dates oftentimes crying. One, because I just wasn't being nice. I don't think, <laughs> obviously. But two, because she was realizing as a Christian, she wasn't uh, she wasn't um, uh, able to pursue really the, any, any uh, long term serious relationship. And at the at the onset of this kind of conversation tonight, I want to make sure that I'm clear here with you guys. Uh, I am not giving you permission to to like do missional dating. You know, I think that's the term missional, you know, uh, believers dating, non-believers, you want to make sure that you're equally yoked because, uh, nine times out of 10, it doesn't end well. In in my story, it's just because, uh, God is so good and he's worked it out to this, uh, to, to, to my, to our benefit, uh, ultimately unto his glory, but, uh, it doesn't usually end well. So this isn't a, this isn't permission for you, young, young ladies, young, young men, if you're listening to this and you're like, oh, well, that means I can pursue this non-believer as my boyfriend. No, no, no. That's not what I'm saying. Please don't mistake me. Uh, it's not going to go well for you. And it didn't go well for us for a long time. Uh, just so you know, because we were coming from completely different worldviews. I was a naturalist. She was a, a Christian. And what ended up happening is over the course of this, the, this relationship, after dating for a couple months, she, Rihanna ended up inviting me to church. 
And, you know, I've done crazier things for the affections of a woman. So I, I said, yes, absolutely. Like, I'll, I'll go anywhere with you on Sunday if you hang out with me on Saturday. So uh, so she would come and she'd pick me up on Sunday morning. And uh, and I remember the first time going to church, I was going to the, oh man, the church, I think it was called, uh, I know what it was called. It was called Morningstar Studio City. It was, uh, the pastor is is Pastor Dave Polis. He's still a pastor. I think they moved, this was in Studio City. Now they're in Encino in a huge, in the Envision Center. And, uh, and that's the church I got saved at ultimately. But I, I started going as an atheist. And I remember my first time going there. Uh, I, I had no idea what to expect. I had never been to church. I mean, I had been to church maybe once or twice. I'd been to a Catholic church growing up once or twice. Uh, and I had been to an evangelical, like, like, uh, like a, a kind of a, a black Baptist church in, in Southeast Washington, DC, uh, once. Cause I was with a friend just going there and, and uh, helping her out with something. And, uh, <laughs> and so I went to this church and, you know, you walk in and, and, and it's a charismatic church and, and there's people, uh, you know, speaking in tongues and there's a woman spinning during worship. And I remember thinking to myself, oh my goodness, where have you brought me, Rihanna? This place is insane. These people are crazy. Like everything I thought about Christians is totally true. And then I kept going with her uh, over the course of a couple of weeks. And I realized actually the, the people there were authentic. They were real. They were good people. Uh, they were cool. Uh, I remember thinking that in in Studio City, it was a younger church with a younger pastor, so they they attracted a younger crowd. So a lot of the people were young professionals that came there. A lot of uh, uh, industry people. So there were people who were uh, you know Broadway not stars but singers, like they were performing in The Lion King. And uh, I have I have friends to this day who are break dancers and and ex pro basketball players, and this from that church. Uh, and they were just really cool people. And then the coolest thing is, is they were just real, to be honest with you. They, and they put up with me because I was, I was the same way towards, towards Rihanna. And then I was the same way towards these people where I would ask all my hard questions to them, you know? And then over a course of events, like Rihanna ended up wanting to become a member of this church. So I actually went with her to the membership classes as an atheist. And so I'm an atheist and I'm at these membership classes, asking my questions, trying to be as respectful in that setting as I could. And the final step of the membership process at Morningstar was you have to meet with the pastor and his wife, Amy. And, uh, and, <laughs> and I went with, to this meeting with, with Rihanna, I met, I, I, I we weren't, uh, engaged or anything yet. We were just dating. And I went to this meeting with a, a notebook of questions. I had stuff printed off the internet, uh, evidence for carbon dating and evolution. And I asked all of these questions as many as I could in about an hour. My wife told her story. She's got an amazing testimony. One night I should have her on actually here. I think you guys would benefit from it. And, uh, so anyways, I, uh, I, I went to this meeting, asked all my questions. My wife shared uh, her testimony. I asked all the questions. Well, a lot of the questions the the pastor, uh, answered for me, uh, some to my liking, some to my not, uh, and some, some, I didn't, I didn't think the answer was valid. He said, I don't know when he didn't know. And, and he was real, which was great. And at the end of the meeting, this is, this is key. This is pivotal. So they got up and they hug my wife and they hug Rihanna and, and they say, Hey, Rihanna, we'd love to offer you membership. Uh, welcome, welcome to the church. And she, she was amazed. Like, and it was amazing. It was a good moment. And then pastor Dave takes my hand in his, and then I shake his hand and he says to me, he says, you know what, John? We have enough members right now. Thanks for coming, though. You know, and, and he totally denied me membership. And, and he, here's the deal. It's like oftentimes when I tell this story, I get two reactions. One is like, oh, my gosh, how could he do that? And the other is like, that's awesome. And it's the second reaction. That's the right reaction, I think, because that was awesome. Because for me, if he had said, hey, John, you know what? Why don't you join the church? We're going to see what we can do. We'll work on you. Just start coming. And, and But that's not what membership to a church is about. 
You know, I would have said, if, if he did that, to, I would have said, this is all a sham. Everything I thought was true. You just want my butt in your seat. You want my buck in your coffer. And you don't really care about, like, like much about me at all. And then, and then he, the, the coolest thing is, is as he was shaking my hand, and after he said that to me, that he, that he didn't want me as a member, he handed me a book off of his shelf. And it was a book uh, on Christian apologetics. And he says, you know, almost verbatim, he, I remember it like it was yesterday. And this is like 16 years ago, 17 years ago. He hands me the book. He says, you know what, John? Like, I don't know if I answered all your questions to your satisfaction, but I think you'll find the beginning to some of those answers to your questions in this book. Would you read it? And, and I read that book and it was an apologetics book. I had never heard of apologetics. I had never really uh, thought that, uh, that, that, uh, that Christians could be intellectually satisfying or the worldview could offer real robust answers to some of life's most important questions. So I started reading that book and around the same time, my future in-laws, they gave me a new believers Bible. Maybe you guys know what it is. It's, it's that one that's like edited by Greg Laurie. Uh, it, and it's got like these cornerstones of the faith, like who is Jesus? Uh, who is Satan? What is sin? And these things. So, so it's an NLT translation, New Living Translation. So it's super easy to read. And over the course of uh, a couple months, there's a couple things that happened here. It was probably about three, three to six months. I, I don't remember the exact time frame. Rihanna would know. I read that Bible cover to cover Genesis through Revelation. I was probably the only person in LA who didn't drive. I didn't have a driver's license. <laughs> I, uh, I moved from Washington, D.C., where I just took public transit. So I took public transit. I actually rode the train. I rode the red line every single day uh, to work uh, downtown. I worked at a law firm downtown. Yeah, and so I'd walk to the train station from in Hollywood and uh, the, the Highlands uh, in Hollywood station. And I'd, I'd ride the train a couple stops down. And while I was on the train both ways and at my lunch, I'd read the Bible. At night, I was reading Christian apologetics books. And so, so I was being uh, ministered to my intellect. My intellect was being ministered to through Christian apologetics. But then my soul, my heart was being ministered to through the word of God. And, and, uh, and, then, and then some really interesting stuff happens. And this is really where the rubber meets the road f- for us tonight, you know, uh, I, I began to understand that there's a, there was a, there was a, uh, intellectual depth to the Christian worldview, you know, and, and I could, I could rely on it to answer some, some things, uh, about the world around me that my atheism couldn't, you see, I don't know if you guys have realized this. I'm sure you have, but the, the uh, the world is a certain way. <laughs> it, it, it doesn't bend and contort according to your 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 personal preferences, your likes and dislikes, your desires. Right? Uh, the, the 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 world is a certain way. That's reality. Reality is the way the world really is, and and reality is that thing that you bump into when you don't live according to that way. And, and, and when I was an atheist and as I was in, entering into kind of the middle phases of this journey, reading the Bible, reading Christian apologetics, practically speaking, as I was trying to live my life out, I had what I call bumps in the reality, you know, and, and, uh, and, 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 and I experienced uh, three bumps in particular, many bumps, but the three that, that stand out in my mind, um, they're, they're three bumps of reality that, that are their fundamental features of the world around me that my naturalistic atheistic worldview couldn't explain but Christian theism could, you know, and, and the first bump is what I call the bump of stuff. Um, and, and, and for you apologetics junkies out there, this is nothing, this is nothing short of the cosmological, the Kalam cosmological argument ultimately, but, 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 but here's, here's my starting point. Okay. And, and, and try to follow me through this. I'm going to try to break it down because this is not controversial. This is not controversial. It, it, the stuff exists, Right. The, nobody denies that stuff exists. The chair I'm sitting in, the microphone I'm speaking into, the the computers that are in front of me that are uh, showing the time and everything like that. 
this stuff exists. The question, though, the question is, is where did all the stuff come from? And, and then the better question, the more basic, the more fundamental question is, what caused the universe, all the stuff, the universe, to come into existence? You know? Like, like this is this is one of those holy cow, big, huge questions that, that everybody has to ask. You know, what, uh, you know, where'd all the stuff come from? You know, because, because really, if you think about it, this is a simple question too. There's only two options, right? E- either all the, uh, the universe either, either came from, from something or nothing, right? And, and, and then who's, you know, who, who, who is a rational mind is, is going to say nothing caused the universe. Like, even if it's possible, What's most reasonable? You know, and this as an atheist, it put me in a really difficult position, practically speaking, because I didn't want to say the, that something caused the universe to come into existence because the, the, the second that I say something caused the universe to come into existence, my naturalism is dead. Why? Some of you might be asking. Because, because that something that caused the universe has to, has to take, have certain qualities about it. It has to take on certain qualities. It has to be outside of its own creation. So it has to be outside of time and space. It has to be immaterial. It has to be uh, incredibly powerful, immensely creative. It has to be personal, I'd argue. And then, and then that something, the, the more you start to describe the qualities that it must possess to create everything, starts to look like something very specific. It starts to look like God. And as an atheist, I did not want to say God, you know, so, so instead I, I, I wanted to opt for the nothing option, but this like, this is not reasonable friends, you know, and, 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 and here's what I want you to understand. And I think that this is, this is like something that really kind of stood out to me in, in the bump of, from the bump of stuff. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm going to argue that it's, that it's uh, impossible to get something from nothing. I, I, I think it is. But I don't have to even do that with the naturalist. You know, keep in mind, it's, it's the atheist who wants to trade on reason. Uh, according to them, they have the most reasonable position available to us. So I'm just going to ask the atheist. And as an atheist, this is the question that came to my mind. What are the chances? Like, what are the chances that everything came from nothing? And, and there's an illustration I think I can show that this is, this is absurd, like it, it, it's like this, say, say you're driving home from work, right? Whatever, whatever job you have at whatever time you're driving home from work and you, and you pull into your driveway and, and parked where your car is normally parked in the driveway is a brand spanking new Tesla X. And on that Tesla X is a bow, a big red one. And then there's a huge tag with your name on it. And then you go in your house and you're like, you're super stoked because like, you don't know what's happened, but you go to your, you go to your wife and you say, Hey, Hey babe, (laughs) where'd the Tesla X come from? This is incredible. (coughs) Excuse me. And she looks up from the the sink or she looks up from wherever or from her desk. And and she's like, "Ah, I came from nowhere. It just appeared out of nowhere. What are the chances of that happening? Like you, you wouldn't buy that. You'd be like, oh man, you're, you're taking crazy pills or something, or you just don't know and you don't want to tell me, or you try and keep something. Like that's not how the world works, it, it, you know, because, uh, and then you, you, nothing comes from nothing. This is a fundamental component, a fundamental feature of reality. It, it's that principle, that scientific principle that makes science possible. Because like, think about the world that we live in. If, every, if, if things popped in and out of existence 
for no reason and no uh, just no rhyme or reason at all. You could be driving down the 101 at, at, at you know at, at I know you all probably abide by the 65 mile an hour speed limit. So say say you're going 65 miles an hour and and all of a sudden a cow just boom pops into existence right in front of you. I mean, ah, what a mess. You know, but that's not the world we live in. Cuz nothing comes from nothing. So something has to, so the answer has to be something. You know, and 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 so you can't you can't deny that the you know uh, the you, you can't deny that the universe came from some thing. The way, the way Greg Kokel puts it, and I love the way he puts it, is, is a big bang needs a big banger. You know, and, and I think that we all know this, and I have a good illustration for this too. And, uh, and I'll get this in before the break, I hope. So, so I was in Disneyland, uh, oh man, this is years ago now. Uh, I was with all my kids and my wife, and we were in Disneyland. We had one of those, you know, uh, we got four kids. So we, had, we have a double, had a double stroller, and it was a really nice one. It had inflatable tires on it. They were the super nice seats. It has standing platforms, so you could really push three at once. It was great. The kids were little. We needed it in Disneyland. And uh, we were on, uh, actually, we were in California Adventure at the time, and, and we were on Mater's Wild Ride. And I remember we parked the stroller <laughs> with all the other strollers, right? And we're standing in line. And, and as we're standing in line, uh, we're talking to each other, having a good time, joking around, talking to the people around us or whatever. And, and all of a sudden, yeah, bang, bang, like that, bang, bang. And everybody stops what they're doing. The conversations in the whole line, the conversations stop and everybody looks around. You know, every, everybody was asking, wait, what was that? But what they meant was what caused that. You know, they, they intuitively know that when they heard these two bangs, bang, bang, they knew something caused it. It didn't just, oh, oh, you know, nobody, nobody like stopped their conversation. It's like, oh, that big, that, that bang happened again. Oh, you know, it just came from nothing. Well, that, that actually what caused the, the bang from the, the, what caused the bang to happen was actually the, the, we parked our stroller in the hot sun <laughs> and the, the sun was beating down on the two rear wheels and our two rear wheels popped <laughs> and it caused these huge bangs. But the point is, 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 is no one thought the bang banged itself. No one, uh, everybody was asking what caused that because, because uh, the things that come into existence, the things that happen, they, they require a cause. You know, and, and this is the first bump that I ran into. This is the bump of stuff. Christianity explains where all the stuff came from. Atheism has no explanation. And, and, and saying nothing, it doesn't cut it. Saying say, nothing is, is, is uh, Aristotle, I think, is falsely attributed to this quote, but, but it's largely believed that Aristotle said, said that, that nothing is that which rocks dream about. Nothing is that which rocks dream about. You know, it's nothing. And nothing nothing comes from nothing so so that's the first bump the bump of stuff and, and when we get back i, I want to talk to you about the next bump it's it's the bump of bad and uh it's it's the bump that man that that uh that is the most difficult it was and still is for me the most difficult to to, to talk about so we'll be back in like 90 seconds uh, this apologetics.com radio uh, hang in there it's gonna get good of apologetics.com is to challenge believers to think and thinkers to believe on the radio on the internet and now in the life of the mind conferences if you believe in the work that apologetics.com is doing we encourage you to support us with your prayers and also with your tax-deductible gift so that this ministry will continue on the air on the web and in events near you 
Gifts of any amount are appreciated, and it's very simple to participate. Just go to apologetics.com and click donate. It's safe and secure. Or you can send your check or money order to apologetics.com, 1900 Southwestern Avenue, San Pedro, California, 90732. Thank you for supporting apologetics.com. What can you expect to learn at this year's Ask a Jew, Ask a Gentile with Eric Metaxas and Dennis Prager, February 20th at Pasadena First Church of the Nazarene. Recently, SoCal Live Scott Furrow asked his listeners that question. I used to drive a, a lot in L.A., and I see all the Jewish people and their families walking with each other, and it, it just boggles my mind why they don't believe in Jesus to learn might help me speak to Jewish people. I think it's a wise thing for us to understand where people are coming from and not just assume it. That's something that excites me about this personally. Get your tickets now for Ask a Jew, Ask a Gentile, February 20th at Pasadena First Church of the Nazarene with Dennis Prager and Eric Metaxas. Get regular and VIP tickets at kkla.com keyword ask. kkla.com keyword ask. Brought to you by Mitch Clemens Plumbing, IRS Problem Solvers, and InjusticeForetold.com. Alistair Begg is leading a spectacular nine-day Mediterranean cruise August of 2023. Experience the Creator's handiwork in the never-ending vistas of the Mediterranean and step into picturesque villages and iconic cities in Italy, Malta, Greece, Croatia, and more. You unpack only once, but wake up in a new historic destination every morning. Join Alistair Begg on this faith-building Mediterranean cruise and our trusted partner, Inspiration Cruises and Tours, as he teaches the Word from biblical sites that deepen your understanding of the Bible. You'll sail gorgeous blue seas while exploring destinations where Paul preached the gospel. Off-ship, immerse yourself in the wonder of some of the world's most famous cathedrals, museums, and works of art. Combine this with daily teaching from Alistair and make new lifelong friendships. For details, log on to kkla.com keyword cruise. That's kkla.com keyword cruise. All right, let's get back to the apologetics.com radio show. And just like that, we're back. We're back together here in L.A. Apologetics.com radio where we challenge believers to think and thinkers to believe. And uh, we've been talking tonight, kind of, I, I, I shared just my story, a brief part of it at least, and and, and how I became a Christian from, from an atheist to a Christian. And and, and oftentimes I feel like we think that uh, that this faith that we have is, is emotionally led, uh, but it's not. Not for me. Um, I used to, as an atheist, I said it in the first part of the show, the first half hour, I used to think uh, Christians were, were stupid. They were dumb. I thought that there was no intellectual depth to the Christian worldview. But then once I came to understand that there is an intellectual depth, that, that, that the, the Christian worldview actually provides robust answers to fundamental components of reality that, that I don't think any other worldview can, can off, offer. So then I was confronted with that fact as an atheist. And, uh, and, and, and I, what happened is, is I started bumping what I say, bumping in the reality. Reality is the way the world really is. And then we don't live according to it. We bump into it. And the first bump was the bump of stuff. where did everything come from? What caused the beginning of the universe? Either nothing or something. Well, it can't be nothing because nothing comes from nothing. 
And we intuitively know this, like we know this, this, this lines up with our basic intuitions about the way the world really is. We know nothing comes from nothing. And that's why we react when there's a knock at the door, when your phone rings or when we hear a noise, a fire alarm or, or my strollers wheels popping, you know, you know, intuitively that nothing comes from nothing. And that was the first bump, the bump of stuff. Well, this is the next bump is, is, is the one I, I, I often raised as an atheist when debating my Christian friends. It was my, <laughs> my like nailing God's coffin, so to speak, my, my coup de gras, my, my go to argument to shut down the Christian. And it's, it's, it's the most frequently raised. It's the most durable. And in many ways, it's the most difficult objection to theism. And this is the problem of evil. And this is the bump of bad. You know, it, it, it wasn't only my, my go-to argument against God's existence. It's the, the part of reality that I bumped into all the time. And I think you do too. And, and, and I was quick to, to, to draw that point out to Christians, you know, uh, when I talk to them. Like every, everybody knows that there's something wrong with the world. Everyone knows that the world is not the way that it's supposed to be, you know, but, but, the, but this wasn't just a Christian problem as, as, as it turned out, <laughs> I couldn't deal with, with the problem either. And, and, and here's why, you know, first, if you're, if you're sitting there and you're listening to the show, I just want you to dream up the most morally grotesque thing that you can imagine. Um, often when you're talking to somebody about this, you don't even have to bring anything up as, as an atheist, I would have uh, brought up something, um, uh, like usually the Holocaust or something, Auschwitz, right? And if that doesn't work, try, you know, uh, sexual slavery, global warming, secondhand smoke, gay bashing, pick your poison, pick their poison actually, and, and then push their moral up buttons. You know, next, ask, what do you make of this? What's your assessment? When you asked me, if, if, when I said something was wrong with the world, if you had asked me, I'd say, that ain't right. These things are wrong. They're bad. They're wicked. They're evil. Not the way it's supposed to to be. But here's the key. When we say things aren't the way that they're supposed to be, are we describing the actions themselves or, or are we describing our emotions or our opinions or, or maybe our cultural point of view or, or like our culture condemns X, Y, or Z, but there's nothing really wrong with it. You see, this is the difference between an objective moral standard and a, and a relative moral standard, morality on, on the outside or morality on the inside. And I want you to see something really important here. And, and because, because when I realized this, I experienced a major point of contention in my worldview as an atheist. It caused me major issues. You see, see the problem of evil, it requires objective morality. This means in order for someone to even bring the problem up, they have to appeal to an objective standard outside of themselves. Evil is, is out there in the world in some sense. You see, the existence of evil needs to be a detail of the external world out there and independent of our own personal perceptions. You know, some things have to be, some things just have to be wicked in themselves, regardless of personal opinion. And, and this is key, like this, this, this next point, if you're listening, listening really closely here, because this is, this is key. If relativism is true, and relativism is the idea that, that uh, you know, you do you, boo, is the expression today. Relativism is the idea that, that there is no truth, and there is no right and wrong. It's all relative. You, you come up with your own truth. You, you, are, the, you are the arbiter of, of right and wrong. But if that's the true story of reality, if reality is true, then there's no problem of evil. 
if, if, if morality is just my, my personal preference or, or my culture's consensus, then there's no problem of evil. And on this view, transcendent objective moral obligations, they're, they're fictions. Behaviors can be maybe distasteful. Individuals cannot like them or, or maybe they're taboo. Cultures maybe can kind of forbid them like, like cannibalism or something, but they can't be wrong in, in, in any ultimate sense. And, 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 and this is like, like, like this is the pithy statement, right? A big bang requires a big banger for the bump of stuff. For the bump of bad, you can't sin against the particles. Let's take it a step further, though, here, okay? Since, since there's, there's, there's like clearly real objective evil in the world, how do you as a naturalist, as an atheist, how did I, as an atheist, how do I account for it? How do I explain objective morality, things that are actually good or, or actually bad in and of themselves? And, and, and then how do they explain objective moral duties, the thou shalts or, or thou shalt nots? You see, in a, in a world where all that exists is, is matter in motion, I don't think you can do that. And what's interesting is, is I was the one complaining about all the evil. So I clearly knew that it exists. So, so Christian, when somebody brings up the problem of evil to you, they're bringing this problem to you, but it's not just your problem. It's their problem too. They have to explain this because they're the ones who are experiencing it. So next time somebody brings up the problem of evil to you, ask them, what do you mean by evil? Because if you're a relativist, because if you don't believe in God, like all you have is relativism. And that means all you're saying is, is this is my personal opinion. You know, I was the one that was complaining about evil. And, and what happened was I began to see my, my main argument against God only makes sense if evil is objective. And how did I explain objective morality? <laughs> Guys, I simply couldn't make sense of a, of a transcendent objective moral law without a transcendent moral law giver whose laws are broken, resulting in the problem of evil. Of, of, of course, like some of you guys are, are sophisticated in this and you're, you're understanding and you're recognizing this as the moral argument for the existence of God. You know, um, a, a way that I, I, uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm the only Christian in my family and uh, my, my, like, my side of the family, right? My, my wife and my kids are Christian, but I'm the only Christian in my family. And my brother was out visiting, uh, this is years ago now, gosh, probably six, seven years ago. And <laughs> we're having a conversation. He's an atheist, really good guy, a good man. Uh, he's a he, 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 really good man. Anyways, he's an atheist. And we're talking actually outside of my church where I used to be a pastor. And, and uh, we're talking in the parking lot and we're talking about moral uh, values and duties. And we're talking about these things. We're kind of going round and round. And, he, and I'm saying, well, how do you account for it, Dan? He's like, oh, well, it's a social contract is what he brought up. I was like, Listen, we started kind of getting loud with each other and like, we're just, we're just passionate people. So like, we just get loud. We're not angry. We're just loud. And so, so anyways, I say, Hey, you know what? Like we should, we should like, just, we should just back off of this topic. Let's, let's pick it up later. Um, you know, we're not going to go any, we're not going to get anywhere right now, you know? And then he says, yeah, okay. And then this is, this is, this is what I did and see if you can catch what I did. So I say, Hey Dan, uh, you know, I'd really like to, to invite you to something that me and my friends do every year. It's a really fun time. We, what we do is we rent a cabin in Lake Arrowhead. Lake Arrowhead is a place here in Southern California. That's uh, that's absolutely beautiful. And, and we go up and we rent a cabin and we get a boat and, and we spend, uh, you know, four days, like a kind of a long weekend with each other and, and just cook good food and have, have a good time, play cards at night, you know, and, uh, we just have a good time. And, and he's like, yeah, that sounds great. And I said, actually, you know what the best part is, Dan, the best part of the whole trip. And, and you have to understand here, my brother is an environmentalist. He's a vegan, he's an atheist and he's a vegan. I don't know which one's worse. 
You know, but he's he's a vegan. He really cares about the environment. He's he's uh, he really cares about animals. So pay, have that in mind when I say this next part. So Dan, the best part is is what we do is uh, we have a boat, and and we all chip in money for a, a pool like a, a bet. And we buy a 50-gallon drum of sulfuric acid. And what we do is we roll out into the middle of Lake Arrowhead and we dump that sulfuric acid over into the water. And we take bets on, on how many fish the, the acid is going to kill. And whoever wins the, the bet wins all the money. And, and, and I'm saying this, and of course I don't do this, but like I'm looking at my brother's face and <clears throat> by this time... He had veins I didn't even know existed popping out of his face. And you know what he said to me? I bet you can guess. I bet you can guess. He says, you can't do that. And my response to him is, is why not? Why not? My, the, the people that I hang out, we have come to a, a contract with each other that that's morally acceptable. I can get my hands on a 50-gallon drum of sulfuric acid. I can rent a house at Lake Arrowhead that comes with a boat, and I can take that boat out and dump that acid into the water. What you mean to say is I ought not. The question now is where do you get that idea of oughtness? Where does that oughtness come from? And you know what he said to me? This is really interesting. This is the best response I could possibly hope for. He didn't repent right then and there or anything like this, but he said, you know what? You bring up a good point. I have to think about that. Perfect. Right. You know, so so just like with the with the bump of stuff, every worldview needs to give an adequate explanation of of uh, a moral reality, a moral depth to the world around us. Naturalism, it can can explain a, a subjective morality, but that's not what's needed to be explained. That's not the kind of morality that people appeal to when they they bring up the problem of evil. That's not the kind of morality that I was bringing up. When I brought up the problem of evil and I started recognizing I was bumping into this facet of reality, I, I realized that I couldn't easily d- deny the problem of evil, but, but I couldn't make sense of it either. Not, not with the resources of my worldview, not without borrowing from another worldview. And then I came to the conclusion that naturalism can't make sense of, of evil or good, but Christian theism, Christian theism can make sense of both. You know, and every time I bumped into the, the, that, that bump of bad, every time I bumped into bad, I was reminded that my worldview fell short of explaining the way the world really is. And it was just one more step, you know. You know, I, I came to the realization, and, and this is where really things got real for me. You know, I came to the realization that the problem of evil wasn't just a problem for the Christian. It was a very real problem for me as well. But instead of being able to, to offer an answer by, by eliminating God, I was only eliminating one of the possible solutions. And in actuality, it, it, it's really not even a problem for the Christian because, because the existence of evil is at the center of the Christian story. Not only does, 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 does Christian theism have an explanation for where evil comes from, but they, they offer a solution. You see, this, this moral struggle that I felt this moral struggle that was that that was so real, it leads me to our our final bump in our last maybe sixteen or fifteen minutes together, and then we'll see where we go. You know, again, I want I want to say if you guys have any questions about what I'm saying, feel free to give me a call at 888-995-5552. I'd love to answer them for you. But this is just my story, and this is this is the the, the way it came for me. You know, 
I don't, I don't have like, you know, a necessarily like a, a spiritual birthday. And it, it took a, it, it took a while. It took a couple months for all this to come, come to me. But as I started living in the world around me, as I started leaning into my, my naturalistic worldview, as I started leaning into my atheism, I realized two things. The first is it led to very dark places. Cause once I realized that the, that the problem of evil wasn't just a problem for the Christian, but a problem for me. Once I realized that objective right and wrong exist, I realized that I was living in a, in a, in a way that was not acceptable. I wasn't as good as I thought, you know, and it caused me to wrestle with these things. And, uh, and this is where, you know, this is where I was left in my last bump. You know, I wasn't just wrestling with the idea that, there was an objective oughtness to the world that we live in. I was, I was, it was more than this. I was struggling with, with good and bad, right and wrong. And as I came to the conclusion that everything around me had to come from somewhere or, or, or someone, <laughs> I found myself in the middle of an existential crisis. You know, the, the existential crisis is, um, is it, man, it, it's like, it's when your soul hungers for something. And I found myself in a place where, where our souls, our souls hunger for deep meaning and ultimate significance. Our, our souls cry out for, for unconditional love and acceptance. Our souls cry out for justice and things to be made right. And, and what do we do with our deepest desires and, and our deep brokenness? And friends, I, I don't think we talk enough about the existence of the soul. And, and I think one reason that we should is because uh, the soul is real. You know, consciousness is, is another word that we use for the soul. It's a non-spiritual, I put that in quotes, spiritual, non-spiritual word for the soul. But consciousness is a huge part of reality. It's a huge part of reality. You know, our, and, and, and then that part of reality, it's real. Our souls are real. These are, I want to I mention three things about consciousness. I want to mention three things about the soul. And, and these are the things that I bumped into. I started to realize, uh, and, and my, my naturalism couldn't answer these things, but, but Christian theism could. First, the souls are real. Our soul is, is what you're aware of when you introspect. Your soul is actually that thing that you're aware of constantly. Every waking moment of every single day, you're aware of your soul. It's that thing that you talk to. It's that thing that's, it's that immaterial aspect of yourself that you have a conversation with in your own mind is the way that we say it. You're in direct contact with your soul every second of every waking moment of every day. And, 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 and you're the only human uh, who, who, who is, by the way, <laughs> nobody else has been in contact with your soul like that. You know, you're, you, and we know intuitively that we're not simply meat suits in motion. We're not just moist robots. There, there's a, and, and I think there's an exercise that, <coughs> excuse me, that we can do the, to, to kind of shake things up here. You know, I did, if, if I were to ask you to close your eyes right now, you don't need to do this if you're driving or anything like that, but you could go for, go for it and close your eyes. And, and I, and if I asked you to, if I asked you to picture a, a, a blade of grass in your mind, I think, I think the majority of you could do it. And then if I asked you to, in your minds, reach down and, and, and pick that blade of grass up and rub it between your fingers, I think a lot of you could feel it. It's kind of moist. You know what it feels like? Kind of uh, roll it into a knot. 
this green residue. You probably see it on your fingers as you're imagining this. And say you bring your fingers up to your nose and you can smell that grass. You have that grass smell in your nose. Some of you even have it in your nose right now, that, that smell of grass. And now if you open your eyes, I want to ask you, like, where, where was that blade of grass? You know, it's not in your brain. Like, like, it, it, like the way I, I point this out to audiences when I'm talking about this to people, I, I ask the question, where exactly is that blade of grass? Is it closer to your right ear or your left? And everybody just looks at me like, what? Because they know it's, it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not manifest in a physical sense. It's, 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 it manifests itself immaterial. You know, it, it, it you know, it, it, it's not in your brain. You know, it, 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 that's just synapses firing. You know, maybe they're firing, but that's not what, what you saw. You didn't see synapses. You saw an image. You, you saw a blade of grass. But then not only did you see it, you felt it, some of you. Not only did you feel it, but you smelt it. And then if I asked you to taste it, you probably could have. And so, so in your mind, you're able to engage all of your senses. You know, it, 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 you, you can immediately experience all five senses in your mind. Another way to put like, uh, to draw this uh, the kind of illustration out is: Have you ever had a song stuck in your head? You know, have you ever had a song stuck in your head? Well, what do we mean? You like when I say I have a song stuck in my head, I'm not saying that I can cut open your brain, your head, crack your skull, open your brain, and pull out and extract that song. No, it's in your mind. You, so I think we all intuitively know that souls are real, and that's the first thing. Souls are real. The second thing. The second thing is, is, is something that I would have agreed with as an atheist. You see, I knew that there was something wonderful about humans. I just didn't understand that that wonderful thing has to be our souls. It's the kind of soul that we have that makes us special. We all know humans are special. They're valuable. That's why we, we gas termites, but we don't gas Jews. That's why we, we, that's why we have a sense of justice. That's why when the things in the world that are happening around us, when they see them, when we see these men and women, when we see these men and women uh, killed, some of them in our streets, we know it's wrong and we cry out for justice. And the reason why is because we know people are valuable and, and, and they shouldn't be violated. You know, we, we know the value isn't anything physical. It's, it, 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 it's, it's why ethnic cleansing is bad. But as an atheist, as an atheist, as a materialist, and I challenge you, if you're listening to this, if you're a materialist or an atheist, I don't think that you can ground that value in your world view. Because on atheism, there's no reason to believe humans are any more special than anything else that's, that's in, in the world. Trees, animals, whatever, bugs. And, and, and this is where, for me, my, my real struggle came in. You see, part of the existential crisis is that, that naturalism reduces us to cosmic junk, like biological accidents, physical parts stuck together without any real rhyme or reason, no purpose. You see, on, on atheism, man is, is nothing and his, his life means nothing except any meaning that maybe you want to arbitrarily give to it. You know, nothing is ultimately valuable on atheism. Nothing is ultimately meaningful. There's, there's, there, there's nothing that will ultimately satisfy our, our hunger for purpose, our desire for justice, our search for immorality. Uh, immortality. You know, nothing ultimately matters on naturalism. And, and, and let me tell you, when, when I start, when, when, I mean, when you start believing nothingism about human beings, bad things happen. 
bad things happen. You know, I've, I've been talking a lot about, uh, about suicide all over the world now. Um, that's the, the 30% of the time when I speak, I speak on suicide and maybe some other topics too, but at least suicide is requested 30% of the time. And, uh, let me tell you, our worldviews matter. You see, our, our worldview informs us about, about who we are in an ultimate sense and, and what we believe uh, has real consequences. Ideas have consequences. John Stone Street says bad ideas have victims. So the first thing we know is, is that we, we have a soul. Souls are real. And, then, and, and that's the only way to adequate to explain consciousness. The second thing that we know is humans are special. And the third thing that we know about the soul, and I think everybody knows this, humans are broken. And I, I don't mean that we're, we're physically sick, and, and, or, or, or what I mean is that, that we're morally broken. And more specifically, we're morally to blame. We're morally to blame. You know, and when that part of my conscience as an atheist got to, got woken up, it was like a, a wrecking ball. When I came to realize that that the that the evil wasn't just out there, like we talked about in 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 the bump of bad, the evil's out there in the world in objective sense. I realized that the evil was also in here in me. I realized that that uh, that that I was broken, not just the world around me. I realized that I wasn't just a a victim, but I was a victimizer. And then my, my soul was awakened. My conscience came to life. And, I, and I'll tell you this, it wasn't pleasant. <laughs> it, I, it wasn't. I realized that, that I needed a rescue. I remember my, one of my major objections to Christianity is this, why did Jesus have to die? And it's at this point in my journey, when I realized, when I was confronted to really who I was deep down, I realized that, that I'm the reason why Jesus had to die because of my sin, my brokenness. Because even while we were sinners, Christ died for us because he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the very righteousness of God in him. Naturalism can't do this. It can't explain this part of reality. Naturalism can't explain the beauty and the wonder of being human, and it has no answer to human brokenness, and, and so, so it has no consolation in, in true forgiveness. Christians do, though. You see, friends, as, a, as an atheist, all, all I was left with to, to build my life on was, uh, as, as philosopher Bertrand Russell put it, the firm foundation of unyielding despair. All I had was, was Dawkins' universe of, of blind, pitiless indifference. But I knew better. And, and I think so, so, so do all of us, even your atheist friends. And, and as I knew better in unguarded moments, I, I let it slip because, because I had to live in reality the way the world really is. And what's happening there when that happens? I bumped into reality and then, and I bumped into the world that God made. And then these are the aspects of reality I bumped into. And then when my presuppositions were left at the door, I saw that naturalism doesn't make sense of the existence of the world. It doesn't make sense of the problem of evil. It doesn't make sense of my own deepest human hungers, especially the pressing problem uh, the, 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 of my own personal guilt. And by contrast, 
in each of these areas? <laughs> Christianity can explain them. Intellectually, Christian theism proves to be, be a much more satisfying answer to the world around us. Existentially, personally, it's the only answer. You see, friends, I, I paid the price for, for being consistent with my, with my view of reality. And, and every time, uh, every time, uh, somebody says something that, 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 that has no legitimate place in, in my worldview. I bumped hard into it every time. So, so some people ask me why I'm a Christian. I say this. I say I met a girl who bumped into a screen door, and then I bumped into reality. And as a result, I came to understand that God is the best explanation for the way things really are. And I've got like 30 seconds. So let me leave you with this. I'm, I'm not a Christian. I've said it before because it's gave me popularity. It hasn't. So I'm not a Christian because it's made me more money in any sense. It definitely hasn't. I seem to make less and less every year. Friends, I'm a Christian. Not because it's, it's, it's made my life easier or fixed all of my problems. I'm a Christian because it's true. It's the true story of reality. So you have the bump of stuff, you have the bump of bad, and the third one, the soul, was the bump of me. With that, guys, our time's up, and I look forward to being with you. I'll be on the, the air in two weeks, but uh, next week, it's, it's either Harry or I think it's Harry. So, uh, so make sure you call and say hi to him. Thanks for listening and hanging in there this hour with me. I hope it was worth it. And uh, we'll see you next time here at apologetics.com radio. I'm John Noyes. Have a great week. Bye-bye.